0: Go ahead and, uh, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're used to going there for the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Chris is going to preach this morning from verses 13 through 16, kind of a uh, an ending sermon to the uh, application sermon to our series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 and uh, follow along with me. If you need uh, a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It is uh, page 553, and listen as I read Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for uh, the Sermon on the Mount and uh, for the, uh, the attitudes and, and things that we see there and, and for the application to our life. And I said that you would be with Pastor Chris as he brings a message this morning of, of application of the Sermon on the Mount to our lives on a, on a daily basis that we can be light and salt to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Keep your Bibles open or turned on or whatever means you use to have the Word of God here uh, right there in Matthew chapter 5. As I thought about uh, what to preach in light of Pastor Bruce having to uh, attend this funeral, I couldn't help but think of how much God has blessed us through this series on the Beatitudes, amen. Aren't you thankful for our pastor and his preaching and the preaching of the Beatitudes? uh, You know, it's just powerful stuff. And, and, And just think of how much blessings. I mean, eight times over eight weeks, at least eight times we've heard blessed, 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 blessed. Did I get all eight? Eight eight times? I mean, we heard that. Eight reasons why we are blessed by our Father in heaven. Eight explanations of what these blessings are. That's just a whole lot of blessing, which got me to thinking, how is Jesus going to follow uh, follow that up in his sermon to his disciples on the mountaintop? So I read the next few verses, and I said, that's it. That's it. It's verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So by way of introduction this morning, I want you to consider four reasons why these verses follow right after the Beatitudes that we've studied now for a total of nine weeks. And as we go through these four reasons, there are four good reasons to listen to the rest of this sermon. So let's look at these. Why do these verses follow the upsound, upside down living of the Beatitudes? Well, the first one is we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. We have been blessed to be a blessing to others. God hasn't blessed us to be blessing hoarders. You ever seen the show Hoarders? We're not meant to keep all these blessings for ourselves. They're meant to be a blessing to the world. The reason God has blessed us is as old as Father Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God said that he would bless Abraham and his seed so that they could be a blessing to all the families Of the earth listen to Genesis 1 through 12 now the Lord said to Abram go forth from this country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great And so you shall be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I had a professor in college once that asked our class What is the one thing God is doing in all the world? And being a good Baptist university and Bible college, the answer was the Great Commission. And he said, no, the one thing God is doing in all the world, in all of history today, ever since Genesis 12, is blessing the seed of Abraham blessing us so that we might be a blessing. And Jesus is saying the same thing right here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, you're blessed for 12 verses, you're blessed. But in 13 and 14, you're blessed to be a blessing to others. And this makes sense because even in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at verses 17 through 20, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish what God promised in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it, and so he is still blessing us to be a blessing. The second reason these verses follow after the Beatitudes is this. We will be persecuted. We will be persecuted for living an upside-down world. That was the last message that Pastor Bruce brought on the last beatitude. And they ended with this reality of persecution for those who live like kingdom people. But if you're like me, if you're normal... That may be debatable, but if if you're normal, you shrink back from persecution. Oh, wow, blessed the joy of persecution. We're going to be persecuted. And so right after that, he says, look, don't shrink back. You are salt. Don't be afraid. You are light. In fact, I would say to you that even especially when we're persecuted is when we're most like the salt that we are to be, when we are most like the light that we are to be. In other words, when the heat is turned up and you're reviled and persecuted, remember who you are. You are the soul of the earth. You are the light of the world. The third reason these verses follow, I believe, is we are to fulfill a prophetic role toward those who are far from God. We are to fulfill a prophetic role. The last thing Jesus said in verse 12 was this. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Listen, whatever else we're going to learn about salt and light in this message, it means we have a prophetic role to fulfill in this world. And the prophets were bold. They were courageous. They didn't shrink back. They boldly spoke into the midst of a people who were in a rebellion against God and didn't want to hear their message. And we're in the same circumstances today more than ever. And as salt, we're to penetrate this corrupt, broken society of ours, and like light, we are to clearly proclaim the message of the gospel in word and deed. But there's a fourth reason these verses follow, and it's this. We have a global mission. We have a global mission to those over 3 billion unreached people. The kingdom of God that's promised in the Beatitudes the coming Kingdom of God will cover the whole earth that we're going to inherit one day and we are to be a witness salt and light we are to shake and shine among every single people group language and tribe on this planet listen you can go any to any place on this planet any place you can be introduced to any people group and I tell you what they need more than anything more than anything more than clean water more than electricity, more than medical relief. All those things are important, but if they do not have a congregation of believers who are salt and light, then they don't have what they need the most. So these are four reasons why uh, Jesus has moved us. He's moved us from eight reasons why we are blessed in the Beatitudes to two roles that we're to fulfill as his disciples. He's moving us from kingdom living To being kingdom witnesses. And so today I want us to look at two ways we are to be kingdom witnesses in a watching world. And he uses two powerful pictures from everyday life in the first century. I don't care where you went in the first century. Two things that were valued, useful, necessary, and needed was salt and sunshine. In fact, the Romans had a saying uh, that if you you said it in Latin, and I'm not going to do it, was kind of a jingle and it went like this, there's nothing more useful than sun and salt. There's nothing more useful than sun and salt. And that's what we're to be. The most useful, the most necessary, the most valuable thing in all the world today is that God's kingdom people live as kingdom witnesses that we would shake and shine in our culture. Listen, our culture's getting more divided, it's getting more corrupt. Things are getting more confusing. Anger is rising. Hate is increasing. And we are called to be kingdom witnesses. This world needs salt and light. They need you. They need me. They need this church. And they need churches all around this world to be kingdom witnesses. And so. Jesus wants us to shake and shine as kingdom witnesses for him on a planet full of people who are lost and are headed for a fiery judgment for all eternity in a lake of fire. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the facts about being salt and light. We're going to look at the function of salt and light. And then we're going to look at what happens if we fail to shake and shine as kingdom witnesses. So let's take a look at it. The first thing I want you to do is to look at four fun facts about being salt and light. Are you ready? Here's four facts about being uh, salt and light. Because here's the thing. Jesus starts out in verse 13 and 14 making two simple, powerful statements. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He just states them. But there's four powerful facts in that. And so here you go. The first fact is is this being a kingdom witness is a specific specific responsibility being a kingdom witness is a specific responsibility in both of these phrases he emphasizes that first word you in fact you could write in the margin of your bible you and you alone you and no one else has a very specific responsibility to be salt and light. Folks, if we don't apply this message, no one else can, no one else will. We, this is his followers, no one else, no one else. He's being very specific about whose responsibility it is to be salt and light. You are my disciples. You and no one else can be salt and light for this world. It's a unique Specific responsibility that only those who are in Christ and who live out the beatitude. So now that we've done this story for nine weeks, we're ready to fulfill this specific responsibility. Second fact is this. You have, as a kingdom witness, a special identity. You have a specific responsibility in light of your special identity. Both times, Jesus says, you and you alone are. Circle that word are in your Bibles. Highlight it. In your digital Bible, engage the scripture as it's being preached. You are the salt. You are the light. Now, what's he saying? He doesn't say, you should be. He doesn't say, you ought to be. He doesn't say, I'd really like you to be. We have a special identity. If you're a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ this morning, then you are salt. You are light. The question is not this morning, am I going to be salt and light? The question is, what kind of salt am I? Am I salty salt? And what kind of light am I? Am I shining light? Am I a bright light? All right? Does that help? I mean, that's really important. You ought to be encouraged. Jesus isn't trying to pump you up. Jesus has already transformed you if you're a believer this morning. You are salt. You are light. You have a special identity. third fact that we see in these two simple phrases is this. Being a kingdom witness is a singular quality. A singular quality or or a superior quality. Superior sounds arrogant, so let's go with singular. Here's the idea. Jesus is careful to say that you are the salt and you are the light. Not just any salt. Not just any light, but you are the best salt and the best light. And you know what? You're the best salt and the best light because you're the only salt and the only light. Now, I love to tell my daughter, you're my favorite daughter. Don't you, Amber? She likes attention, too. She loves attention. I tell her, you're my favorite daughter. And people that uh, know me, I mean, I'll even get people on Facebook saying, but she's your only daughter. Now, she used to say that to me when she was young and we'd have fun. Now she just rolls her eyes. She's a teenager. But uh, I still tell her she's my favorite daughter. And she said, yeah, but I'm your only daughter. And I say, well, it's a good thing you're my favorite one. Right? Serious. You know, that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, look, you're not only the only hope that this world has, but you're it's best hope. You, as my followers, are the best and only hope for a world of darkness and lostness. You have a singular quality. I think this is so important in this election year. Listen, it people think it's going to be a political party. People think somebody's going to make us great again. People think somebody's got all the clues and all the things and and organizations. And there's all sorts of, 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 the lost world has all sorts of solutions for this lost and dying world. But there's one best and only hope and you have a singular quality that this world needs and it is that you are the salt and the light. The fourth and final fact I want you to see about salt and light is that being kingdom witnesses is a spiritual accountability. It's a spiritual accountability. Look, Notice that Jesus makes it a point of spreading our witness all over this inhabited planet. In other words, we're to shake and shine into every people group, into every corner of this world, and we have a spiritual accountability to God and to be honest with you, to the loss to reach them and to show them that we are salt and we are light. That means every corner of your school. That means every place in your workplace. That means every home in our neighborhood. That means every people group there exists on this planet. We are to be for them salt and light. So those are the four facts. So those are the facts, but what's the function? What's the function of salt and light? So let's look at the function of salt and light. And as simple as I can make it right now, I'll make it complex here in a minute, but as as much as I can make it simple right now, it's just really this. The function of salt and light is to shake and shine, all right? The beetle said, twist and shout. Jesus said, shake and shine. Shake and shine. Get out of the salt shaker. Turn on the light. Shake and shine, people. Shake and shine, church. So here's, let's look at the, break it down, function for salt, function for light. Let's begin with the function of salt in this passage. Salt was regarded in, in the first century as indispensable, necessary, and valuable in the first century. In the ancient world, salt was highly, highly valued. The Greeks called salt divine. Can you imagine? Morton, you're divine. Okay? I mean, that, that, that's bizarre to us. But that's how important. They didn't have refrigeration. If you didn't add salt, you didn't have meat. No barbecue without salt. Salt is divine. It is important, okay? But, and the Romans would pay their soldiers in salt. And so if a soldier didn't carry his weight, and if he didn't share do his share of the work, they would say, he's not worth his... Salt, that's where that comes from. It was payment. It was valuable. We still today, if someone has great worth as an individual, we say he or she is the salt of the earth. There's the value. Now, salt was used for many purposes. We could preach, and you know I could, uh, an 11-week series on the purposes of salt. There's no less than 11 purposes for salt in the, in the century. I'll just give you a couple. It was used as a preservative in meat. It was used as seasoning on food. It was used in many sacrifices in the Old Testament in the temple. Its it, saltiness could heal wounds, and it would create thirst. And I'm telling you, many preachers will focus on one or more of these uses of salt, and you can build an entire sermon on that. And I'm not there here to fault them or critique them on that, but you know what the reality is? Jesus doesn't tell us what the purpose of salt is in this passage. He just says you are and stay salty. So what's the idea? I don't think the idea is any one of these things because you really get some weird application when you think through this. Some will preach, you are to preserve the earth. Hey, we're not here to preserve this rotten earth. We're here to witness to it. We're here to see God transform it, right? We're not here to add more flavor to a rotten culture, a, a culture that's headbound and headed into rebellion. We're not here to add more flavor. We're not here to preserve. So, what is it? Well, the point is simply salt was useful and valuable. We are to be God's salt for the world we're to be indispensable necessary useful and valuable to god as witnesses it's not so much what we do for the world it's more about whether we're useful to god in the world do you, do you see the difference there god wants to he, he says look you're my salt You're valuable, necessary, and and useful to me in furthering my kingdom purposes. You are salt for this world. So he's telling us that there are basically two essentials for being useful. So the function of salt was be useful, valuable, necessary. So let's look at two ways that we need to be used to how we can stay and remain useful as witnesses. Number one... Be a useful witness by staying salty. Be a useful witness by staying salty. You say, what do you mean by that? Get me out of the metaphor. Get me away from the, the word picture. What do you mean? Live with a kingdom difference. Live with a kingdom difference. Salt is valuable because it's different from the substance you're putting it on. It does add flavor. It does add taste. Because look at what he says again in verse 13. You are the soul of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? As one commentator put it, the most obvious general characteristic of salt is that it's essentially different from the medium in which you put it. Its power lies precisely in this difference. So it is, says Jesus, with his disciples. Their power in the world lies in that they are different from it. And boy, we're hearing a different message. A different message is is, is really being spread so often among uh, Christians and in our culture that the key to impacting our culture is to become as much like it as we possibly can. And Jesus says, no, you're salt. You're different, and it's that difference that makes you useful, valuable as a kingdom witness. Salt is salt. Salt is salty. If it's not salty, then it's no longer salt. These are pretty profound things, right? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you cease to be salty, you're not salt. If you cease to be different, you're not a witness any longer. You've been absorbed into the culture. Now, back in Jesus' day, this is something that they would understand better than we do. We get salt, pre-packaged, it's all pure and clean, and and salt is a stable compound. You chemists over here, they're studying chemistry, it's a stable compound, but... In those days, you would get your salt from the Dead Sea, you would get it from sea marshes, and it would be full of impurities, and you would store it out in the back in the pile, and and as the rains would come and and moisture would come, the real salt would be washed away uh, and and washed away, and all that would be left would this be this powder, this pile of powdery white stuff that had no taste and had no use, had no value, and so you would take it and throw it in the trash can of that day, and the trash can was in front of your house, it was the street. And so you'd pour, uh, pour this white powdery stuff that was no longer salty, no longer useful, no longer necessary, and it would harden the ground in front of your house, and people would drive it into the dirt as they trampled it underfoot. So, what is Jesus saying to us this morning? He's saying to his followers, stay salty, my friends. Uh, The most interesting man in the world always says what? Stay thirsty, my friends. But Jesus says, stay salty, my friends. Too many Christ followers are so much like the world in how they think, in how they act, in how they live. That there's no real difference between them and the people we are supposed to be witnesses to. We laugh at what they laugh at. We watch everything they watch. We gossip like they gossip. We get angry like they get angry. We hold grudges like they hold grudges. We get even like they get even. We refuse to forgive like they refuse to forgive. We use foul language like they use foul language. We post what they post on social media and we're not salty folks we're not salty and if you really pay attention sometimes though they are unbelievers they are more salty than we are and Jesus is saying you are salt you are different stay different and make a difference make a difference Be effective witnesses, but to do that you need to show them a difference and live with a kingdom mindset, live with kingdom values, live with a kingdom lifestyle. You say, what does that look like? Well, we just spent eight weeks on seeing what that looks like. What it looks like are the eight beatitudes. We should humble ourselves before God as spiritual beggars. We should mourn over sin and the sin of others when they don't mourn. They don't know to mourn. We do, but we're so busy entertaining ourselves. We're so busy with the mundane and the trivial. We respond with—we should be responding with gentleness and kindness to our enemies and those that frustrate us. We should hunger and thirst to be more like God and be more effective as kingdom witnesses. We should be showing mercy to those who don't deserve it. There's no other way to show mercy. We should strive to have a pure heart for God. We should seek to be at peace with others as much as it depends on us. We should be willing to suffer rejection and even persecution in order to be effective kingdom witnesses. That's what it means to be salty. That's what is useful. They stay salty by living with a kingdom difference. And if we're not willing, listen, if we're not willing to stand out, stand up, and swim upstream against this culture, then we're of no use to God. That's what he's saying. Salt that's not salty is good for nothing, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But being different doesn't mean, now right now you're saying, I know some Christians that are so different, I don't want to be like them, right? So being different, don't mistake, doesn't mean being odd, weird, or strange so that no one can relate to you. Nor does it mean to be so obnoxious, no one wants to be around you. See, I'm just different. No, it's a difference that makes a difference, okay? So to be effective kingdom witnesses, we need to live with a kingdom difference. But to do that, you've got to live with a kingdom perspective. So here's the the idea you be useful witnesses by staying tasty. So it's not just staying salty, being different, but it's staying tasty. Live with a kingdom perspective. In other words, live with wisdom. Because notice what Jesus says, but if salt has become tasteless, now I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get you here. This, this word that Matthew uses is a unique word in the Greek that not only means tasteless but foolish. So he's doing a word picture. Salt, tasteless. Christians, foolish. And when Christians live, seek to live differently and do it foolishly, you're no good to God and you're no good to the lost. Amen? Isn't that good stuff? That's just good stuff. So be different but be wise in how you're different. That's what he's saying. If you're going to stay salty, then we have to stay tasty as well. What's the point? Don't be foolish and become a tasteless, useless witness for God's kingdom. In other words, live differently, but be wise how you go about it. Perhaps the Apostle Paul has the best explanation. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 4, 5 through 6. I think this is a tremendous, tremendous really explanation comparing Scripture with Scripture here's what it says conduct uh, Colossians 4 5 and 6 conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity redeem the time let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person Don't be a bull in the china closet. Instead, be a wise, gracious, bold, courageous witness that knows the wisdom of when to talk and when not to talk, knows the wisdom when to ask questions and when to give answers, knows the wisdom of how to be different without being obnoxious. Amen? I mean, that's just just good stuff, and that's what we need. Okay, so that's the function. So what's the function? We are to stay salty so the lost get a taste of godly wisdom. They need to get a taste of what it is to manage money from a kingdom perspective. They need to get a taste of what it means to parent from a kingdom perspective. And none of us are perfect at any of this, but we have a wisdom that comes from God. We have priorities that come from God, and they need to see a difference, and they're like, you know what? That's interesting. That's tasty you're giving me a taste how can I get in on that now what's the function of light so here's the second thing that we are to be the second role is the function of light in this passage and the function of light in this passage is again twofold first of all be a visible witness by not hiding the difference God's making in your life be a visible witness by not hiding look at what he says In verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't hide your light. And to be honest with you, when you live differently, you don't have to worry about it. You you stand out. That's just the fact of the matter. See, that's what he's saying. Look, you are different, and you will stand out. And that's a good thing. I know for some of us. We have different personalities. That's the way God has shaped us. But listen, if, you, if you're bent, if your natural inclination is to lie low and to not stand out, and this is important, young people at school, but it's equally important adults at work, right? Nobody wants, but listen, if you live differently, you will stand out. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It simply can't be hidden. When you uh, live differently and do it wisely, you stand out for the right reasons. Cities in those days were built on a mountain, uh, often on a mountaintop for protection, per, for perspective, and they were often painted white, and so in the sun they would gleam, and at night they would glow in the moonlit light. You just saw them. And in an age without street lights and everything, uh, total darkness can be pretty intimidating until you see that city. You ever driven? Kansas, you know, at night. Bill, there's just not a lot out there, brother. But there's some light, and you'd see a city and it'd just be glowing. You're like, okay, you know what? If I was stranded, I would be heading there. There's light. I can see it. There's a difference. The word picture is simple. We are to stand out as Christ followers, not by being foolish but by being wise, not by being ungodly, but by being godly. We're not to be secret Christians. Listen, if you're a workplace, if you're school, if your friends don't know you're Christian, something's wrong. You're salt and you're light, and you should stand out. You just can't hide. You can't hide. If salt is a picture of wise living, light is a picture of righteous living. Right living stands out in a world headed in the wrong direction. It simply cannot be hidden. So be a visible witness by not hiding. But here's the second function of light. Be a revealing witness by letting them see God at work in and through you. Be a revealing witness by letting, God see, letting them see God at work in you. Look at the rest of uh, verse 15. Uh, Nor does anyone... Uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, here's the thing. Simple illustration. It's like you never. How many of you ever turned on a lamp and then put a blanket over it? Okay. Your kids may have and started a fire, but you wouldn't do that, right? You, you, start, you turn on a lamp in order to see the light and for others to see the light. In our home, we have a hallway heading down to our bedroom. And so when we're going uh, shutting down the home for the night... Uh, uh, Gwen will be, me or Gwen, whoever, will be in the living room and one of us will head to the bedroom and you have to leave the living room light on until you get to the bedroom to turn the bedroom light on because when you turn the the living room light out, you got to make it to the bedroom. Do you get what I'm saying? You turn it on so you can see it. It's, It's pretty complex in our place. Turn on that bedroom light, Chris. Okay. you need light you need light you got to see light listen when you turn a light on it's meant to shine light and when God saved you he turned you on spiritually he gave you the ability to live righteously and he intends us to do that he intends us to live with a righteousness and a wisdom that sets us apart and lets others see God is at work. Not perfectly. We're not sinless, but we sin less, and we live differently. Maybe 1 Peter 2. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2. I think 1 Peter 2 is a good commentary. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. This is what Jesus is getting at. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Beloved... I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. Look, you're, you don't, you're not citizens of this world. You're citizens of heaven, so live like it, which war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, because they see God at work in you, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen, not everybody's going to congratulate you for living righteously, okay? But one day, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, and when his judgment comes, lost people should be able to testify, I saw a difference. I rejected the difference. I mocked them for their difference, but I saw a difference. I saw a you at work and I rejected that witness so there there's the there's the idea now so what's the bottom line we are to shine brightly so the lost can see our good works and glorify our father in heaven so we've seen the facts we've seen the function but what happens if we fail what happens if we fail to shake and shine what happens when we fail to stay salty and shine brightly well, he tells us two things will happen. First of all, tasteless salt, which we've learned today is foolish living, is useless to God. And it's thrown out to be trampled underfoot. You're like, man, that's kind of a negative message. I didn't say it. Jesus said. It. It's, it's thrown out. Look at verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? And the answer is it can't. When the salt's left that pile, all that's left is white powdery stuff that can never be made salty again. And so what happens? It's tasteless, and it's useless, and it's good for nothing. And what do we call, things, what do we call that stuff that's useless and good for nothing? What do you call it at home? Trash. Now, some people call it treasure, but it's trash. Okay, it's trash. And what do you do with trash? You throw it away. And that's what they did. They, they, they took that useless powder and they threw it out, and then it was trampled under feet by people that walked in front of their house. Now, that's just not a very picture pretty picture, and that's what Jesus wants us to understand. It ain't pretty when God's people fail to live differently and wisely there are consequences. God judges those who say they are one thing but live like another. God judges those who say they are His children but live like the devil. There's supposed to be a salty, tasty difference between us and the lost people of this world. And God will judge those who claim to be His disciples but live foolish lives that are no different from the world around them. Now, right about now, you might be thinking, That doesn't sound very much like Jesus. I thought He was all about love and mercy. I thought about He's just always supposed to be happy and accepting of us. Well, He is, but when people who identify with Him cease to shake and shine, there will be consequences. And when people profess to be Christians but don't live differently, Never living righteously, there will be judgment and all I have to do is take you right there in verses 17 through 20 look at 17 through 20 Jesus isn't about setting apart the law he's about fulfilling the law he's not about setting apart God's commands he's about giving us a new heart and a new creation so that we can obey God's commands you are salt you are light it's not something that you have to pump yourself up to be if you're a true believer This is who you are, so live who you are. And he says in verses 17 through 20, he says, look, this is who you are, but here's what he says in verse 20, look at verse 20, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's got to be, listen, the good works he's talking about here is not cleaning your act up. It's not getting religious. It's not putting on a front for others. It's not working on the externals. It's God giving you Christ's righteousness, taking your sins, giving you His righteousness, and enabling us to live differently. Now there's two words that I want to show you because I, I, th- this is a strong message and these are strong words and I want you to know that they're not mine, they're the Lord's. So I want you to show two words in verse 13 that prove to us that this is what Jesus meant. The first is the word for tasteless means foolish, but when you trace out the, the, the concept of a fool in Matthew, you find out a fool is a false believer. A fool is an apostate. Someone that says they believe in God and then quits believing in Christ, says they believe in Christ, quits believing in Christ. Someone who says they believe in Christ but lives like the devil. Those, that, that is false living. And so the, the, the fool in the book of Matthew are pretenders who are not truly born again. They are sheep in wolves' clothing. In chapter 7 of Matthew, at the end of this sermon, he talks about sheep in wolves' clothing. So the first word that gives us a hint of this is the word for tasteless, which also means foolish. The second word is thrown out or cast out. We're not just talking about throwing out trash. When you trace the idea of throwing out and casting out in the book of Matthew, it's the idea of being thrown out of the kingdom of God. It's the idea of being thrown out and cast into eternal fire in the lake of fire. You see, pretenders who are not truly born again are cast out of the kingdom into the eternal judgment of outer darkness. Now, I can read you all sorts of uh, verses, but let me just go to, turn to chapter 7. I just, just want to read a couple. Look at chapter 7. At the end of this sermon... He again picks up the idea thrown out. And look at verse 19, chapter 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So these are the words of Jesus. Then look at verse uh, 23. He says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven... Verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then drop down to verse 26, he ends the sermon with these words. Look at verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man, there's the foolish who built his house on the sand. Listen, being foolish and living unrighteously is not a good sign. There are deep consequences. God will discipline you if we are a true believer, but God will judge the false believer. Either way, there's severe consequences when we fail to shake and sign. And how could it be any other way? Look at number two. Hidden light, which we've seen as unrighteousness or self-righteous living. You can be a really good person and your works are rotten in the sight of God. Because they're self-righteous, they're external, and they're religious. But listen, hidden light is the opposite of God's purpose for saving us in the first place. Look at verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I just cannot emphasize enough on a message like this. Jesus isn't saying clean up your act. Jesus isn't saying, get religious. Jesus isn't saying, put on a good front around other people. Jesus is saying, let me transform your heart. Let me clean you from the inside out. Let me empower you to live differently and to live wisely. Because Jesus says in verse 20, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of its day, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not ca- talking about your righteousness, but exceeding righteousness, surpassing righteousness, more than what any human being can do on their own. It's what only God can do in and through you. Wow. And I, I, I let me... I, I, I Let me just say this. In Matthew 23, Jesus, in verses 3 through 5, in Matthew 23, Jesus has some pointed things to say about what bad works are. He says, look, do good works. And we start thinking, okay, I'm going to try harder. But he says, no, listen, here's what I think are rotten works. And he says in verses 3 through 5, he says, look, here's rotten works. When you say things, but you don't do them. That's rotten works. Secondly, when you add things to what God has said, but you don't have the power to even keep your list, rotten works, right? And the third thing is when you do things that can only be seen by men, but you don't do them for God, and you don't do them when no one's looking. Rotten works. You see, the good works people need to see are the ones that only God can do. The ones that require God's power. The ones that point people not to what I can do, but what only He can do. Ones that don't point to my greatness, but His greatness. Power that says, God, if He can change me, He can change you. Amen? Man, that's what they need. That's what they need at work tomorrow. That's what they need at school That's what they need in my neighborhood. They need to see a godly, wise difference that points them to the glory of God in heaven because He's changing people like us here on earth. Amen? So, stay salty. Shine brightly. Be who you are in Christ. Live with godly wisdom. Do good works that point to God's glory, to God's greatness. And you know what? Jesus says, if you're my disciple, if I've if you're born again, if you've crossed the line from unbelief to belief, if you've crossed, crossed the line from darkness to light, you are salt and you can do this. You are light and you can do it because I'm going to be doing it in you. Amen. So don't you leave with your head down today. You as a believer, leave with your head up saying, I am salt, I am light, and I'm going to stay salty, and I'm going to shine brightly. Amen? Man, let's do it. Let's do it. And you will stand out. But understand, not all will receive you well. Some will reject you and the God who is changing you. But some will receive you, and in receiving you, they will learn to receive the Father, and they will be converted, and they will be transformed. Amen? Man, that's just good stuff. Good job, Chris. Okay, let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord, man. This is good stuff. Good stuff. Let's be salt and light. Amen? All right. Let's bow our heads, and, 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 and you know what? Literally, we're not having a response time. You know why? Because response time is when we leave this church. The response time is tomorrow morning. So as these guys sing, and what I mean we're not having a response time, what I mean is the response is going to be manifested in the workplace, in the neighborhood. Amen? So here's some things to think about as they sing. Let's pray for the lost people in our circle of influence. Let's pray for the Maconde people who we are financing a Bible, the light in their language. Let's repent of those areas where we have been foolish and ungodly. Let's rejoice that Christ is at work in us if we are a believer. And I beg of you today, if you're an unbeliever, if you're far from God, if all of this sounds really foreign, but all you know is you need your life to be changed, receive Jesus this morning. Receive him as your Savior and Lord, and he will transform you into salt and light. He'll give you wisdom to make better decisions. He'll give you righteousness to live godly, and you will see an eternal difference. Amen? Father, we come before you, and we just ask for you to do a work. Your word is being preached. Your people, we need to respond. And if anyone's here that needs to know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, they can receive you by just turning from their sin, accepting you, and asking you to do for them what they can't do for themselves. To forgive them, transform them, and secure them in a relationship with you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, let's respond to God's word.